theologian, and on his deathbed, someone came to him and said, what is the greatest theological truth you've ever learned? And that man's dying words were, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Where do we ever get the idea that's a little kid song? And that's a little kid truth. That's what you need every single day. If God be for us, then who can be against us? Amen? Let that sink in. No one is interested in your well-being and your sanctification and your victory than God is. And He is the strength of your life. Will you pray with me? Lord, as I think about what people are going through today... Got Lee Murray on my mind, and I ask you, Lord, to please heal him and help him. I pray, Father, for people that are going through the grieving process today. I saw a Facebook friend, and uh, her mother, who's 85, got COVID-19, and now is just shutting down. People are facing real problems like that this morning. And they need to know of the love of Jesus Christ. I think about people that are going through a divorce. I think about people that are going through, well, employment issues. I think about people that as they are trying to make sense out of things just politically. I think about our president. I think about the cabinet. I think about both houses of Congress. I think about our governor and other governors. I think about state legislatures. I think about mayors and city councils, school boards. Think about judges at every level, including what's going on in the Supreme Court now. Father, we live in a world where the brightest and best among us cannot seem to make things work. And I pray, Lord, that somehow through this, that we... And I don't know how you would do it through us. We're nobodies. But, oh, Lord, if you could use us to testify to people that Jesus is a loving Savior who died on the cross, conquered death, hell, and the grave, rose from the dead, and is seated at the right hand of God the Father. And to think about what we studied in Sunday school, he is praying for us even now. Oh, Father, that we could spread that message and people would come to know Christ from the highest to the lowest, from the somebodies to the nobodies, to the famous to the unknown, from the rich to the poor, whoever it might be. Oh, that people might come to know Christ and give you the glory that you deserve and that believers might have the strength to persevere through their trials. And as they persevere, they do it with joy and they testify of the sufficiency of the Word of God and the sufficiency of Christ. And Lord, you didn't choose Paul to do that. You didn't choose John or Mark or Peter. You chose us for a time like this. May we be found faithful and we can only be faithful by your grace. Pour your grace upon us today. And with that grace, bring us victory. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And if you agree, would you say amen? Thank you. You may be seated. We're in Exodus, as if you didn't know. And we are in the 14th chapter 
of the book of Exodus. And uh, what, a, what a great time it is to be thinking about these things. When we started in this, I had absolutely no idea what 2020 was going to hold. But boy, this has been such a, such a good thing and such a challenge and such an encouragement for us. The uh, people of Israel are at the Red Sea. I've got desert on one side. Well, there's not much cover there. And they've got water, deep water on the other. And uh, they aren't ready or prepared for that. And they see the Egyptians coming. And they say to the Lord, save us, deliver us, or something. It doesn't actually tell us what they said. And uh, What's that? Oh, Children's Church. Get out of here, kids. Right outside, if you're a guest and you want your child to join us, they're right down the hallway here. But the leaders will meet you out here, and uh, they'll have a great time. And Brother Dale has just been docked for uh, forgetting that. Okay? Okay, where was I? They're trapped. They have nowhere to go. And, uh, man, I felt that air of disappointment in here. And I thought, what in the world? And uh, now I know. And so there they are, trapped, and they don't know what they're going to do. I don't know if you've ever felt that way, where it seemed like every option you had was bad. It seemed like you didn't know which way to go, and you knew God cared. You knew God had a plan. You just didn't know what the plan was. Now, there are some people that will tell you that the key to everything in the Christian life is faith, and they wouldn't be wrong about that. The Bible says this is a victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. The Bible says... That uh, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And there's a lot of other scriptures that talk about that too. But there are a lot of people that distort the idea of faith. And they make it sound like that faith is basically coming up with something, crossing your fingers, repeating it over and over and over and over and over and over and over until it finally becomes true. Well, that's a recipe for disappointment. That's a recipe for failure. That's not the way the Bible uh, puts faith out. I want to talk about this because this particular event we're going to read about today is referenced in Hebrews chapter 11 as something that they did by faith. And I want to give you six words to think about whenever you think about faith and see if you're living a life of faith, if you're walking by faith and not by sight, if you're truly trusting in the Lord, and if you are truly looking for and expecting God to do something that is far beyond anything you and I could do. So Exodus 14, let's go to verse 15. Okay, Exodus 14, 15. If you found it, would you say amen? And the Lord said to Moses... Why do you cry out to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward, but lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. Now we're going to skip on down to verse 21. We covered uh, those two verses uh, last week. Look at verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night. Uh, sometimes I think if we watch movies and think about things, we think Moses held his rod out and it happened instantaneously. No, it took all night. And he made the sea 
into uh, dry land, and the waters were divided. Now, pay attention as you read this. Some of the words in some translations are in italics. If they're in italics, it means they were added for clarification. The way that verse um, reads, it says, And made the sea into dry, and the waters were divided. Isn't that interesting? Made it into dry, the sea into dry. Verse 22. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry... See, that's italicized, ground. And the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. Now it came to pass in the morning watch that the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud, and he troubled the army of the Egyptians and took off their chariot wheels so that they drove them with difficulty. They were dragging the chariots because they didn't have wheels to roll on. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Well, it's too late. They're already in the midst of the sea. Verse 26. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians on their chariots and on their horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. So the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Then the waters returned and covered the chariots, the horsemen, and all the army of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them, not so much as one of them remained, no survivors. But the children of Israel had walked on dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. So the Lord saved Israel. Somebody say amen to that. That day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt, so that the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. Now that last part is important because it's just before the Lord did this miracle that the Israelis didn't have much confidence in Moses. Remember, they saw themselves as kind of being equal to him. Didn't we tell you to leave us alone? Didn't we warn you this was going to happen? That type of thing. But after this is all over, they're sure. They're sure of the truth of the Lord, the truth of his word, and also the leadership, of course, of Moses. And this all is 
uh, tied together for us in Hebrews 11.29. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea upon dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. You know, uh, I'm amazed when we look at passages like John 17 in Sunday school. And then passages like this one as we've gone through um, uh, Exodus. At how little we understand about the difference between the way the Lord looks at believers and the way he looks at unbelievers. I think we've been kind of a liberty and justice for all uh, religion to where our American ideals have come across even in our theological ideas. And we think about God. Well, he just loves everybody the same. And in a sense, that kind of minimizes, well, no big deal then. If you tell somebody Jesus loves them, they say, well, doesn't he love everybody? What's the big deal about anything like that? When we think about ourselves as being sinners that are redeemed, we emphasize the sinner part of it. And we are, see ourselves as pretty much in the same boat as everyone in the world. And God just looks down and has some pity on us because of a prayer we prayed or something that we did, walking an aisle or whatever. And so we're a little bit different, but not really all that much. But you find that when you read in these verses and in the other things, God looks at his people differently than he looks at the world. He loves us with a maximum love, like a father would love his children. He disciplines us, and he doesn't discipline the devil's kids, but he does discipline us. And why, according to Hebrews 12, does he do that? He does it out of love, just as you do with your own children. The Bible tells us in John chapter 17, when Jesus is praying... I am praying for mine, those you have given me out of the world. I'm not praying for the world. I'm praying for the ones that belong to us. You're a special group of people. You are viewed by the Lord differently than other people in the world. You are his child. You are his purchased possession. He actually indwells you, and he doesn't indwell lost people. The Spirit of God lives in you. And God, as we said earlier out of Romans 8, is for us, so much so that Paul lists all the things that will not defeat us, that will not separate us from the love of God. And he makes that wonderful statement, if God be for us, then who can be against us? And so God is taking Israel. Why are they going through all of this? They've been through 400 years of slavery. And then finally, after the plagues, they're allowed to let go. And then what happens? Here comes Pharaoh's special operations coming after them to take them back. Why is God continually putting us through these trials, they might have said? Well, the last part of those verses are telling us that they did it because... They needed to believe God, fear God, and believe God, and they needed to trust God's work through Moses. We need those same types of things today. But if we're going to do that and get to that point, we've got to understand it's by faith. They walked into the water by faith. They walked into that sea on dry land by faith. Can you imagine what that must have been like? The other night we had... Oh, some high winds come through and our bedroom faces north. And I remember waking up going, what in the world is that? 
And, uh, you know, wind can make some noise as gutters rattle and tree branches move and all of that kind of stuff. The roof kind of creaks and, you know, the wind coming through. Can you even begin to imagine the power and strength of an east wind that blows all night long to the point that the sea is divided and the ground that the Israelis are going to walk on is dry ground? You talk about a terrifying storm. You talk about a terrifying windstorm. And then they've got the Lord who instead of being in front of them is behind them. And you can imagine giving the Israelis light but giving the Egyptians darkness and keeping them separate. Another idea about how God looks at his people as compared to the lost world. And there they are being told, go forward, go forward. Now I want you to Think realistically with me. How excited would you be about moving forward? I'm not sure that seeing waters on either side like a heap or like walls is all that comforting to me. I would be thinking about what could happen. What if the Lord slips? What if he looks away for a second? What happens when we do this? What, what is going on here? It's kind of interesting to me that it appears that the Egyptians thought that if the Jews could do it, we certainly can do it. We're a superior race. We have superior gods and goddesses. And they seem to be more aggressive about going through the Red Sea than even Israel was. That's an amazing thing to me. Sometimes the world seems to have a whole lot more confidence when they probably shouldn't. And we have less confidence when we probably should. And God is patient and kind and he is teaching us and taking us through these things because we need to learn them. Well, what does this have to do with faith? Well, I want to share some things out of these passages. We'll just go kind of verse by verse through here, and we'll give you a word for each section that we have. And I want you to notice, number one, who initiated this whole thing? You see, some people would have you to believe that faith is coming up with your idea, and now we're going to twist God's arm, or we're going to wear him out until he finally does what we want him to do. But over and over you find in the Scripture, when you find stories like this, the people weren't even aware of what they needed to do. The people had no resources. The people had no idea about it. It was God who intervened. Notice that the passage that this is under starts off, And the Lord said. This is not Moses saying, Lord, we beg you, when I stand up and I hold my rod up, we're going to claim by faith, calling the things that are not as though they are, so that you will move the sea. We command you to do this, Lord, or anything like that. Some of the people on TV kind of sound like what I just did, but not Moses. See, with Moses, this was the Lord's idea to part the sea. It was not a last-minute thing. It was not something that he got together at the uh, council table of heaven and said, what are we going to do? We've got these Israelis trapped there. And then some angel said, well, what if we parted the sea? And the Lord said, ah, that's why you're on this council. It's not like that at all. 
This had been ordained from before the foundation of the world. This is an all-knowing God who is never in doubt, who never has to deliberate. This is a God who already had this plan. In fact, he led them to this particular place, if you remember, and told them, camp here, and this is the place they are supposed to be because this is all of God. And may I say to you that there are certain situations you're going through that uh, you look at it and you say, I had no idea this was coming. Yeah, but there's one who did. And he made you for this. He could have put somebody else in there, but he didn't. He could have happened in a different era, but it didn't. It happened in your time, in your place, in your family, in your situation. Such a time as this, as we quote the book of Esther so often. And God has you there, and he already knows What he is going to do. Well, I don't know what I'm going to do. That's irrelevant. God knows what he is going to do. This is initiated by God. The Bible says, For by grace are you saved through faith. And remember, and that not of yourselves. It, faith, is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. So we don't have anything to boast about in our salvation or anything else. It's God who gives us faith. It's God who creates these situations that require faith so that we can please him and operate in his power and we can give glory to him. Nobody came up with this except God. Now the second thing that faith always has in it wherever you go in the Bible is the word obedience. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. Wouldn't have done Moses any good to stretch out his rod over the sea earlier, and it wouldn't do any good later. This is the time. And Moses does it at the command of the Lord. Why is it that we think situations that cause us to panic, situations that we can't understand, situations that seem to uh, magnify what the enemy is doing, we've all been in those, and the first thing we want to do is disobey. And we think that that gives us an excuse for disobedience. That's an excuse for sin. I couldn't help it. Well, you've got to understand my circumstances. Child of God, God will never put you in a situation where your only option is to sin. You've got to obey God no matter how you feel, no matter how it looks, no matter what other people are saying, no matter what your five senses are telling you. You've got to just obey God. And so that's the first thing that Moses does is he obeys God because faith without obedience is not faith at all. If you don't obey, you really don't believe. If you are looking for reasons to disobey, you have a faith problem and you are not pleasing God. No wonder you're not seeing him work on your behalf. Obedience is a big deal to God. But it comes out of what? What God has initiated in faith. Setting up the situation. Giving you the opportunity to obey him in spite of what everyone else says so that he receives glory. Number three. Notice that the third thing that comes up is power. God doesn't command you to do something that he can't carry out. God doesn't put you in a situation and say, do this. And you say, yeah, but Lord, if I do that, then I'm ruined. Then I'm finished. And God says, well, we'll 
See what we can do to try to work this thing out later on. It's never that way. God always has the power. You remember the story Jesus told about the man who goes out to build a tower and he doesn't count the cost. He can't finish the tower so everybody laughs at him. Let me just assure you God is never in that situation because he knows what you need even before you ask. And might I add, even before you know what to ask for, the people of Israel here, they didn't know how to pray except God help us. That's about the extent of it. And yet, what did God do? He had plenty of power ready and stored up and supplied for what they needed. Not only to get them across to the other side, but also to make sure that Egypt would never be a legitimate problem to the Jews ever again. That's the end of it. Their empire is over. And their threat to Israel is over at this point. Remember God had told them, you're never going to see these people again. And so God has the power for it. And when you think about your life and your situation, whatever it is you face, big or small, whether it is significant or insignificant, whatever it may be, God has the power for you to do what he wants you to do. Wouldn't it have been ludicrous if God said, move forward and cross the sea and go to the other side without parting the sea? Of course, if he commands them to do something, then he has to make a way from them. For them, Remember the song we sing, God will make a way when there seems to be no way. He works in ways we cannot see. He will make a way for me. He will be my guide, hold me closely to his side. With love and strength for each new day, he will make a way. He will make a way. Oh, how true that is and how illustrative this story is of the truth of that. God made a way, a way that they didn't even really pray for. They didn't really conceive because nobody conceives water part and walking on dry land like that except a holy and an almighty God. God has some things in store for you and some things that he's going to work in your life that would blow your mind and probably scare you to death if you knew about them right now. But be assured, when the time comes, the power will be there. He made the sea into dry land. Who does that? Who can do that? Well, only a holy and almighty God And so they walk across that on the dry, and uh, the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. And water normally doesn't come like a wall, but it did in this situation. The Egyptians get overconfident, and they pursue them, and they go down into the midst of the sea, and they do that to their own peril. So what's a blessing to the people of God is death and destruction to the uh, people of the enemy. And so always remember that God has your back. God makes a way and God supplies the power that is needed for whatever it is that you find yourself in. Number four, the word sovereignty comes to mind. Sovereignty, what does that mean? God is the king. He is the one who rules. Now, Pharaoh seems to be in charge here, doesn't he? Pharaoh seems to be the big dog. Pharaoh seems to be the one that's got everything going for him. These ex-slaves are trapped. They're trapped by desert. If they run that way, they're going to be thirsty. They're going to die. They're also going to be vulnerable because there's no shelter in the desert. And Pharaoh will come after them. Pharaoh also has the horses. 
Israel doesn't seem to have any horses. Pharaoh has the chariots. In fact, the Bible tells us that 600 of the chariots were his special ops chariots, right? He's got the seals coming after them. And so Israel is the one that seems to be out of control. And it seems like their God has led them out of Egypt into failure, into defeat, into destruction, into death. Are there not enough graves in Egypt, they said. That's the only option they really saw. And Pharaoh is grinning from ear to ear. And Pharaoh is saying, this is tactically the best situation we could ever be in. I've got everything that I need. They have nothing. And it looks like Pharaoh's in control. Not so fast. Not so fast. It's God who has them right where he wants them. And he's got Israel where he wants them. But don't miss the point of this story. He's got Egypt right where he wants them. Those fools are following. Those fools are headed to the Red Sea. Those fools are thinking that they can walk where the people of God walk. Those fools are thinking that they can have the same power that the people of God have. They've got another thing coming. This world thinks it's so in control. We've got the money. We've got the media. We've got the politicians. We've got everything that's going on. And you Christians, all you've got is faith. You ever heard the saying, he who laughs last, laughs best? Because they're going to find out one of these days. We are the ones. We are the ones with the power. We are the ones that have been equipped We are the ones that God is using during this time and in the midst of this crisis in our nation. We are the ones God has chosen to use. Oh, not many noble, not many mighty. Remember Paul saying that? But he chooses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. I think we're living in a situation where we are going to see God move in ways that we never dreamed. And he's going to do it through nobodies like us. You know why? Because greater is he that is in us than he that is in where? The world. Oh, they may flex their muscles. They may look like they are strong and powerful. Just like Pharaoh at the Red Sea. We got them. We got them right where we want them. Until God said from heaven. Says he laughs. And he said there they come. Just like we planned. We got them right where we want them. Didn't look that way. But that's the way it is. Because our God is a sovereign God who controls the events of nations. He's a God who controls the hearts of people. And it came to pass during the morning watch that the Lord looked down. Oh, my goodness. And he troubled the army of the Egyptians. And how did he do it? Well, apparently he sent a rainstorm. While the Israelis are walking on dry land, the Egyptians get stuck in the mud. And the horses pulling the chariots cause the wheels to come off. And now the chariot is being drugged and they go through it with great difficulty. Do you know God can do anything he wants to anytime he wants to? And he can take away the advantage. He can take away the power of the enemy with just one touch of his hand. And people go, what happened? How did that happen? How did that change? Hey, he can change an election anytime he wants to. 
God can change popular opinion anytime he wants to. God can take weak people and make them powerful and influential anytime he wants to. God can take a junior high kid and kill a giant, right? This is our God that we're talking about. Somebody ought to be saying amen right now, right? There's no time to be quiet. This is time for the people of God to be vocal and to stand up in the strength and the power of the Lord because we are not the losers in this situation that we live any more than Israel was in this situation where they found themselves. So God attacks and goes against the Egyptians. If God is for us, who can be against us? But let me just say this. If God is against you, who can be for you? You're in trouble. And that's the way Egypt was. Let's look at number five. When you talk about faith, you're talking about victory. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Well, you look at this situation. And it says, The Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea and over the waters. And what happened when he did that? Well, the Bible says... Then that the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. That wasn't in anybody's strategy book. That wasn't in anybody's plan for anything that was coming along. That wasn't anything that any tactician had found out. That wasn't in their army manuals or their chariot manuals or their special ops training. There was nothing like that at all. But folks, it wasn't in Israel's playbook either. They didn't see it coming. But God, this wise, powerful, ever-present, loving God, who had called the people of Israel out of Pharaoh's bondage, he had called them out into freedom. He says, I am the one that will set you free, and I will keep you free. I'll walk with you. I will be with you wherever you find yourself. And the flood's not going to hurt you, but it's going to hurt your enemy. Why? Because I am a victorious God. And where I lead you, I am leading you from victory unto victory. His army shall he lead, the hymn says. Paul wrote it like this to the Corinthians. He always leads us in the train of his triumph. And there we are walking in the victory that Jesus secured on the cross of Calvary. He sits at the right hand of God the Father, not with his fingers crossed, hoping everything will walk out, but he, work out. But he sits there with the promise of his Father. And the Lord said unto my Lord, Sit here at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Not if, but until. It's just a matter of time, son. It'll be taken care of. And you and I are to walk in that same faith. How long can the enemy prosper? How long can they intimidate us? How long can they do their will? Only as long as a sovereign God allows them to do it. But at the end of it, he will be victorious. And we will enter into his victory. In fact, the Bible says on this earth that has been so cruel to so many people like you and me over the years that has spilled the blood of the people of God over the years. The Bible says one of these days we will reign with 
him on this earth. Why? Because our God is a victorious God. And so when you think of these words, don't ever think of faith as being defeat or faith as being just a, I hope it works out. Think of it as being a victorious faith. You are on your way to victory, but you got to walk through some scary times. It must have been a little bit intimidating to walk through that sea. It must have been a little bit scary to be in the middle of that sea and uh, uh, see that water piled up all around you. It must have been scary to hear the shouts of the Egyptians behind you. But they got to the other side, which leads me to the last thing. Faith always leads to completion. There will never be a time, there will never be a situation in heaven where the Lord will say, well, I thought we had that one. Well, I sure hoped we would have gotten that one done. He completes what he does. The Bible says that the children of Israel walked on dry land in the midst of the sea. And the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left hand. Why? Because when God says you are going to the other side, there's only one option. You're going to the other side. When God says, I'm going to see you through, there's only one option. He is going to see you through. When God says, I'm going to lead you in the train of my triumph, there's only one place you're going to be, and that is in the train of his triumph. Our God is a God who completes everything that he starts. He completes what he has ordained. He finishes what he has decreed. And so he is taking us through and taking us to the other side. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. And thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord. The people believed the Lord and his servant Moses. Folks, we live in these times where faith needs to do something in your work, in your life. And it's got to work in your life, is what I meant to say. You've got to look at these elections coming up and realize, according to Romans 13, this is in God's hands not the voters. And whatever happens and whatever comes out will be what God has ordained. It might be we get what we deserve. I don't know. But I do know this one thing. He'll see us through. He'll carry us through. And we better act like we believe God. We better act like we fear God and honor God and worship God in everything we do. And we've got to believe what his word says. And we've got to believe what the authority is he has placed over us. That they are playing their role for the glory of God for the culmination of prophecy. And will some of you please do me a favor and quit reading Revelation as though it's a curse? Quit reading about the end times as though it's a failure? Quit reading about it as though it's something to be dreaded? Folks, it's coming. And it's coming in God's time. And it's coming in God's ways. And the world is growing gloriously dark. Because one of these days... I see the flash of that light up there. And it reminds me that in the eastern sky, there's going to be a flash of lightning that's going to go from the east to the west. And it's going to be the return of the Lord Jesus Christ to rule and reign upon this earth. And that means everything that has been ordained is going to happen to get to that point. 
and you won't delay it. I won't delay it. The outcome of an election will not delay it because God is the one who controls it. And we've got to look forward to that as we look forward to the coming maybe of a relative or the coming of a celebrity or the coming of a new era in life. We've got to anticipate it and be able to say with the Apostle John, even so, come Lord Jesus. But you remember the poem that Wayne Robinson wrote. To get to, we must go through. See, to get to the other side of the Red Sea means you've got to, by faith, step out on that dry ground. Oh, I would believe it if I saw it. You sure about that? Because the Bible's told you what is going to happen in the last days. And some of you are terrified by the fulfillment of prophecy. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. And start trusting God. For faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, as we finish this, we are thinking about how many times the enemy is trying their best to get us not to believe you, not to believe your word, to shrink back instead of run to the sea. And we need to quit it. And I pray, Father, that faith would well up within our hearts as a church, as individuals, as families. And so we would stand with confidence so that we will honor you and so that we will believe what your word says and will follow the leaders that you have put over us. And we'll do it not in confidence toward them, but in confidence toward you and your word because Jesus is Lord is more than a slogan. It is the bedrock truth of the ages. Our God reigns. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.